0: Today, there are 2 million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. Now, the listeners of this podcast know that the stories we have told so far have been very, very New England-focused. Mike and I are both from New England. We even have a map of New England as our logo. Uh, but we are fully aware that we need to do a better job telling the wider Franco-American story. There is just so much more to the story than just New England and New Orleans, which is why I'm incredibly excited to speak with our guest this week to talk about the Illinois country, a region we haven't touched on at all. I'm also excited to introduce a state park that sounds super, super interesting. So joining us today, Emily Smithy, lead interpretation ranger for St. Genevieve National Historic Park, a place the more I read about, the more I really, really need to get to. Emily, welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: So before we get going too much about the park, I'd like to get your story. Maybe tell us where you're from and how did you come to work in a park telling what is, at least in significant part, a Franco-American story?
1: Um, I am originally from North Mississippi, um, very close to the Tupelo area, which is well known for, for Elvis's birthplace. <laughs> um, I, I have a history major and trying to figure out what to do with that because I didn't want to teach in schools and I didn't want to go to law school. And that seemed to be the two options people choose when they have a history degree. Yeah. Um, and And I am a lifelong learner. I always want to continue learning and I stumbled on the National Park Service as an option for a career. Um, There are national parks in every state and U.S. territory. And anywhere you go to, there's a whole new geography, a whole new culture, a whole new uh, history to to learn from. And I also went back and got my master's degree focusing on Native American um, history and culture as well. Because when it comes to history, uh, especially when we talk a lot about U.S. history, we do focus very heavily on um, certain uh, demographics, you know, usually of rich white men and, and their impacts yep. on sure. the nation, um, but there are many other peoples that are often overlooked, Franco-Americans happen to be some of those in many instances when we talk about the overall history of the United States. So I wanted to study and focus on many of the outlier communities that have not been included. Um, That does include the Native American um, cultures and groups, as well as African-American, as well as women, um, and all these different immigration movements that are occurring throughout the world, and the establishments and settlements that they made and contributed to our our overall American history. Very, very fun. really, really drew me to the National Park to be able to do all of that.
0: Very good. Did you know the Franco-American story at all?
1: So being, being close to Louisiana, I was very familiar with uh, the New Orleans area. Of course, the Acadian movement and Creole and, you know, hearing a lot about what that is. And once you get into the Southern Mississippi portion, like Biloxi, um, which is just, you know, a few hours from New Orleans, you do still have some of that residual culture that, that came across the river, the South uh, Mississippi and the Southeast United States was mostly more Spanish and then uh, British and then American territory. So once you cross that river, that's when you really get an effusion of that French-American culture.
0: That's awesome. Well, this is cool. So we mentioned this the first time Now we've talked about the Illinois country on the podcast. So before I get too far into the history of the Illinois country, I think it might be important kind of to outline like the area that we're talking about. So when we mentioned the Illinois country, what do we mean?
1: Um so the Illinois country is very loosely geographically based. We uh, I, I guess the more eastern point would be this uh, Vincennes, Indiana, and then uh, west from there as well as um, it was initially divided into upper Louisiana, which would be like Green Bay, Detroit, um, uh, the St. Louis area as well, and then the lower Louisiana territory. The Illinois is sort of this mid, Mississippi Valley area that um, covers a little bit of that Midwestern portion of Mississippi River.
0: Gotcha. Very cool. And obviously, the French were not the first to arrive in this Illinois country. So maybe you could tell us something you obviously know a lot about. Uh, Tell us a little bit about some of the people who would have been there in this area already before the French showed up.
1: Um, so we, we actually do still in anywhere along the Mississippi River, you're going to find evidence of the mound builder cultures. Um, what we call the woodland and, and the Mississippi period of um, American Indian and their construction of and use of mound, uh, mounds. And we do have one of those not too far from our, our park boundaries here. So there is evidence that we had mound builders. Um, Cahokia is probably one of the most famous mound sites. It's very extensive and impressive. It's ran by, um, it's in, across the river in Illinois. And we are about 50 miles as the crow flies from, from that. So it's possible that many of that society was extended into this area. And then the, the Osage would probably be one of the, the larger Indian groups that covered a vast uh, territory in the Midwest. Um, they were mostly in the Ohio and uh, Mississippi River Valley area on the east side of the Mississippi, and by the 17th century, they had come across the river, mostly due to pressures from um, movement of the, the Iroquois from New England to um, the Great Lake area and, and just sort of the pressure of movement of people. So the Osage were a group that Lewis and Clark encountered in the St. Louis area when, when they started their expedition. Um, besides the Osage, you do have uh, the Kaskaskia, the Cahokia, um, Peoria, um, the Fox. They would have all interacted with a lot of the French colonists. They would have intermarried with many of the French fur traders that started in, in the upper Mississippi and then uh, migrated down. So there would have been a lot of cultural exchange between French uh, fur traders, voyageurs, um, and then colonists, um, and and those are still groups that even as Saint Genevieve is forming as a community, they are still in the area, and they um, we actually have approximately fifty Native Americans uh, buried in in our memorial cemetery as That's well.
0: That's awesome. That's very cool. It's funny you mentioned Cahokia. A number of years ago, I went on a cross-country adventure i had heard of the place vaguely so we took a stop in. i've told everybody since they're like what place did you run into that you didn't expect to have a great time Koki was amazing as a history guy yeah. that was such a really really interesting place to check out so that's very very cool so were the french then the first europeans to show up in this area
1: they were yes
0: in the that so, early interaction
1: um so some of the the earliest interactions would have been the late 1600s some towns like Cahokia and um, on the uh, Illinois side, the Prairie, Prairie du Roche, uh, I think there's various ways of pronouncing that, and I hope sure. I got them right. Um, they uh, they would have been established about 1690, uh, early 1700s. Um, St. Genevieve would have been more 15 uh, mid 1700s.
0: Gotcha. All right, cool. So they move into this area. Now, when they established St. Genevieve, are we talking mostly men who are traders, or are we talking entire families that move in? What does that settlement kind of look like, especially early on?
1: Yeah. So, um, different towns settled for different reasons. Cahokia would have been more of a, or Kaskaskia would have been more of a missionary kind of based. Um, Some would have been more military, you know, they wanted like Fort Deschartes would have been more um, a military fort reason to, um, to be established. St. Genevieve was actually established more as an agricultural community, um, right, right here uh, in St. Genevieve, we have um, a wonderful floodplain that is enriched uh, by the Mississippi River and. Um, there's approximately 7,000, give or take over time, of uh, really rich, flat farmland just along the Mississippi. And so that draws people. That That's what drew the mound builders here. That's what drew the French colonists here, this um, wonderful, rich soil in which to grow food from. And so that was the basis of St. Genevieve's um, settlement. And that a field that we now call uh, Le Grand Champ uh, was a common field. So the the settlement pattern for this particular um, town was very nuclear village based. And that Le Grand Champ, the common field would have been where um, they would have shared this uh, huge uh, lot of land. Uh, They would have fenced it in and each family would have had like a, a responsibility to make sure that their section was properly fenced. Because um, had cattle got in and ruined the crops, uh, they would have been responsible for for everyone's loss. Um, so it, that field is also where we get where we see, especially in the mid 1700s and early 1800s, the the community makeup of the town. So you do have um, Native Americans working in, in that field. Uh, you have uh, white men. Um, you have uh, enslaved people, uh, black um, free men and enslaved. So you can kind of see just the community base uh, working in that field and understand how multicultural the town was, even in its early starts.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's one thing, even just reading through the website it's very, very clear that this was a multicultural location basically from the jump. I mean, even right. the, the Spanish got invited to the party at some point.
1: <laughs> they do.
0: And when, when did they arrive?
1: Most of the Louisiana territory was French controlled. And after the, um, Seven Years' War or the French and Indian War um, ended, the Paris Agreement that was signed in 1763, French had to um, cede a lot of their lands and some of that went to the Spanish. So in 1763, all of a sudden this French community is now under uh, Spanish rule, which wasn't too much of an adjustment for them because they both the French and Spain at the time had bourbon rulers. Sure. And there was, they were also Roman Catholic. So the adjustment culturally wasn't too difficult. Um, and you also have to understand the Spanish weren't so much interested in colonizing or, or sending Spanish people into this area, it, the control of that river and the strategic location of it is what they were really gunning for. Cause whoever controlled that Mississippi river really controlled trade and right. the interior. So um, that's what they were really after. So the French, um, other than having a new ruler, and right. a Spanish king instead of a French king, um, it didn't change too much. It didn't alter their uh, their lifestyle very much at all.
0: Yeah, it's all I've always thought about that because like, obviously you change, but if you're there, you change the flag maybe on a building, but it's not like you right. change the language. You don't change the clothes you wear, but yeah, no. So this is super, super interesting, this entire story. Actually, you guys have a bunch of stuff on your website about kind of like the day-to-day things that you talk about for the people who lived in this area Um, we don't talk about that i don't think nearly enough so there's a couple of things i do want to touch on which i think is very fun and the first one is the language Uh, can we talk about the language specific kind of to this area and maybe how it was different if at all from what you would have heard maybe in canada
1: so I think the, the further you get away from your homeland, the more your language does change a little bit. So um, Quebec would have slightly different version of French as you would in France. Um, and then of course, the further away you go, you're going to interact with so many different groups, you're going to interact with different American Indians, and you have to form sort of a pidgin language to be able to communicate with one another. You're also running into, um, you know, maybe... Spanish rulers who are in the area, as well as British, um, you're interacting with so many different people and that does alter your dialect and, and how you speak. So there would have been some um, uh, dialect you know, changes in, in how you pronounce things. And that's sort of when we start talking about Creole language, right. and especially when you get further down, it becomes a more thicker Cajun accent. Um, so all along the Mississippi, you might have various dialects of that French language.
0: Oh that's very very cool. You also have a page maybe i was super interested because I'm one of those people that you mentioned alluded to before with the history undergrad degree who became a lawyer but you have a page you have a page about the law of that area. First of all how is this place governed? Do we have the, like is there a, a council a governor who runs yeah, this place? So
1: they would have appointed a commandant. So especially uh, when when you're under Spanish rule um, and they're not necessarily sending governors or uh, just like the british did with india they would send viceroys and they sure. would send governors out to their various territories the spanish didn't do that they would choose a local leader that that had a lot of influence um and would have made them a commandant and so they would have they would have governed that local area so you would have had a french man um governing the french community and it was it, was, it made the transition from, from french to spanish a lot easier um, and so they would sort of um they would receive any sort of new laws um, from the Spanish government, and then they would then distribute it to their, their people.
0: Gotcha. All right. That's cool. And I did want to touch on I mean, something you had mentioned, obviously, the presence of slaves in this community yes. is super, super significant. Maybe talk about kind of, you know, when slavery arrived and what did it look like? Was And how is it different than if it was different than what we envision slavery when we think about American slavery now?
1: slavery had always been sort of part of French culture anyway. And we uh, we see slavery as a very racial um, concept. And um, with French society, especially uh, even with, you know, British or American society in the 1700s, it looked very different than the 1800s. So because you are um, in, in very rich Mississippi uh, floodplain area, sure, um, you acknowledge that it needs to be worked, and, and um, so they would bring enslaved people from Africa, as well as occasionally from, um, from the Caribbean islands, where France did have some colonies there as well, and they would usually dock in New Orleans and make their way up Further, further north, and I think it would have been more the 1720s, 1730s, before enslaved Africans were in, uh, present in this area. Sure. But by the late 1700s, they made up a third of the population. Wow. In this area. Yeah. So they were, it was a very um, significant increase from from the mid-1700s to the late 1700s. And there were code noirs, the, the black codes, and those were uh, laws that were distributed. And it did talk about how Um, enslaved people would be treated, like they were, you know, they they, um, were supposed to be granted housing and food. Children couldn't be departed from their mother until a certain age, like, uh, so the code noir sort of set forth how um, enslaved people would be treated in that territory. And the Catholic Church, I will say the the Catholic Church that um, really dominated a lot of the French settlements were very efficient in their their records so we have baptismal records of both the the French and the enslaved people as well so wow we have and uh, who their owners were and, and, and all that so that that documentation really helps us um, with genealogy and understanding uh, sort of who people were and, and where they were in this, in this area
0: oh that's super interesting because we I mean we talk about that a lot here that the way the church kept records allows a whole lot of us to I know a big deal about your French credibility is if you could trace your family back to a feeder law. that's like a big deal right, right. and and we always thank the church for collecting the records they have yeah. because of that a whole lot, lot of us can do that no that's crazy
1: oh sorry and that does um, differ a little bit from how the British or the American would have documented enslaved people when I would do research in Mississippi it was often wills that we would look at to find names, because that's when they would itemize. The sure. And so then that's where they would make note of um, who the enslaved people were, how old they were, things like that. So it's it um, they didn't always on the on the more British side of the of the river um, didn't go into the detail like the Catholic Church did. So we're very grateful for that. That's um,
0: fascinating. No, this is crazy. I never, honestly, I never thought about that, but that's, that is super interesting. Now, how about uh, the laws with respect to women? How were they similar, different than you would have seen maybe elsewhere in America or Canada?
1: Um, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about that. I can say that when it came to um to farming, it was usually always men in the field, whereas the women would have been more tending the household. And their version of garden would have been the herb garden or the rose gardens, um, more ornamental pieces. And that does stem from uh, how life would have been in France as well.
0: Gotcha. Okay, very cool. All right, one thing I do want to talk about. We have had a whole episode on this topic, but not really talking about your area, and that is festivals. It always makes things way fun. But on New Year's, where they, like, they put their masks on and they met.
1: Uh, so I started at the park just after that ac- event occurred. So it was something like, oh, something just happened. And um, sure, I'll, I'll catch it next year and, and see how that goes. But yeah, it's it's an event that still occurs here in this town. And there was a time, I think in, in the mid-late late 1800s where they tried to uh, get rid of that particular festival. But the French uh, descendants here were like, no, we're going to do it. <laughs> regardless. So um, one of the ways in which this town has really maintained its French colonial identity is refusing to give up their, their festivals and um, events that they would hold every year. And they they just continued, even even when it was frowned upon by newcomers and, and Americans and um, other immigration into this area, They they still made sure to hold on to those particular festivals.
0: No, I think it's awesome. I mean, just reading about it, it sounds like a blast. A bunch of guys get together, toss on some masks, yeah. have a have a rendezvous at a predetermined secret location, and then go kind of <laughs> house to house. Nah, that sounds like sounds pretty fun to me. But yeah, but but also I thought to me it was very cool to see that stuff like you know the, the oldest uh, the. The, ma- the patriarch of the family would bless the rest of the family on New Year's. Again, that was something yeah. that, that existed all the way through to my my mom's dad did that every New Year's right. here in Manchester. And uh, Le Réveillon is still something yeah. that happens. Even mm-hmm. Quebec, I mean, it still happens. Some people still do it here in Manchester, but still way popular in Quebec is obviously something that, <laughs> that made its way over to where you guys are too. So now that's super, super interesting.
1: And another event that um, unfortunately we were not able to, have this year in town mostly due to covid and so we hope we can pick it back up next year is the king's ball and that's usually held first week of february and you know you have french inspired music and dancing uh colonial costumes you'd have the king's cake so that that was a celebration i was really hoping to catch this year but unfortunately we were not not able to have it so
0: just gonna be a that much bigger party next year giant giant king's ball no yeah i mean this yeah that'll Everything sounds way, way, way fun. Uh, we mentioned religion for sure. Um, we talk about besides, you know, being awesome record keepers, uh, but some of the just the impact because seemingly you can't tell the Franco-American story without telling the Catholic church story. It's kind of That's a right. it's kind of a mandatory discussion point. Uh, just tell maybe some of the role of the church in the founding of this area and just the day to day life for the people who live there.
1: I know many of the people that settled here in St. Genevieve first settled in the town of Kaskaskia, where that would have been sort of the missionary area where you would have had an established Catholic church and priest. And many of the records would have been maintained um, at that particular location. And then a little bit into if we get into the, the mid-1800s, um, there, one of the stories that we do tell here at the park is about Benjamin and Pelagie Emero. And Benjamin would have been a French um, man who whose family lived in this area. And uh, Pelagie was um, a formerly enslaved person who married oh, wow. a French man. And so they for a while it was more of a common law marriage in Missouri at that time. A black man in, in 1830s is when they were married a black man and a black person and a white person could not uh, intermarry intermarry so they would have gone across the river into illinois um where uh it would have been legal and a priest would have married them there and then they would have come back and be married here so some of that um the catholic uh uh, culture and laws would have also depended on the state laws when it came to marriage of people. So I do still have to learn a little bit more about that Catholic influence. In the but <laughs> no. They were definitely present and they were, you know, the center of that community.
0: Of course. Yeah, I mean, this I mean the place just sounds just crazy crazy unique because you have all these you have the Native Americans and you have the French, and you have the Spanish and you have the, you know, the slaves that came in and some of whom, you know, like you said, became free citizens of the town. and all they all kind of mixed together to form a culture a community that was unique to any of those other four that were there before. Right. No, that's way we need. So we've talked a lot about the park. We've mentioned the park, I should say, but we should probably talk about it specifically. So first, where is this park when we talk about St. Genevieve? I hope I'm not uh, insulting anybody, but I don't think a lot of people in New England here are going to know where St. Genevieve Missouri <laughs> is.
1: Yeah. So it is um, 60 miles south of St. Louis right along the Mississippi River and um, so we're in that southeast section of Missouri. The National Park is within the St. Genevieve Historic District so we own a few buildings and we will probably expand um, over the years. We are brand new. We were um, we were enacted in uh, October 30th 2020 so we're that new. Um, we have currently, we have two buildings that we do interpret the Amaro house, which does tell the story of Benjamin and Pelagie Amaro, as well as the Jean-Baptiste de house. And he was a commandant uh, for this area in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And he's the one who oversaw that transition from St. Genevieve being um, a French uh, territory to a Spanish territory to an American territory. So he was the one who oversaw that transition. Uh, that induction of Saint Genevieve, Missouri, into uh, America, and that was in 1804. Got gotcha. it. We also have uh, a few other buildings we're hoping to acquire. One that we should, one that we should close on this summer. It's called the Green Tree Tavern. Very interesting building, and it's currently ran by the Missouri State Department, and it is the the oldest building in town, and possibly the oldest in Missouri that's still standing. Oh wow.
0: So how old, how old are we talking there then?
1: Um, so the original town of St. Genevieve would have been established just a few miles south from where it is now. Gotcha. But because it wasn't a floodplain, um, it, there were a series of floods that occurred in the 1780s that, you know, it's just they just got tired of having to rebuild their houses after it flooded. So then they moved up, uh, up, up the hill a little bit. Sure. So many of the houses that are still standing that just date to the 1780s. Gotcha. No, that's still pretty years.
0: Yeah. All right. So this, this is awesome. So uh, you come to this, you got to this national park, a brand new national park, which nice. is way, which, which is way fun. So you come to this brand new, you got all these historic buildings. Um, What else can a visitor expect to see? What can they expect to do? You guys have programming. What, yeah. what, what would they be? Um, what would their experience be if they, if they showed up at your park?
1: The currently you usually go right to the visitor center. That's sort of your orientation. So St. Genevieve Welcome Center is is partially ran by uh, NPS staff as well as the city staff and there are a few exhibit panels in there. There are models of the architecture of the buildings here. So what makes St. Genevieve really unique compared to many other areas in, um, in the country is that it has a, a, an extremely high concentration of vertical log buildings. And so normally when you think of a log cabin, uh, they're laid horizontally sure. and stacked on each other. But um, in Normandy, uh, the construction of houses were usually vertical. So the logs would have been um, up and down. And in between you would have had bustelage, which would have been a mixture of, of rock and other organic matter that would have insulated the house. And so St. Genevieve has a very high concentration of that. And you can can see that here. And many of the historic buildings here are ran, uh, there are a few by the National Park, which we are starting to acquire. Some are ran by the state parks, some ran by local organizations. The Colonial Dames of America really helped um, purchase and furnish a lot of these houses. Um, We have the French Colonial Association. Uh, There's a museum here as well. And so all these different organizations that we talk about, the nonprofits, the state, then the national park, they are all really uh, working together to to produce that overall experience for the visitors here. Um, And I will give kudos to the town that, you know, a town that was built in the mid 1700s and uh, is still retaining a lot of their culture here in 2021. Uh, It is really due to their efforts to preserve the buildings, preserve the culture, keep it alive, have all these festivals, that continue to remind the public about it, um, having historic reenactments um, on a weekly basis during the summer times. So um, first you would come to that visitor center and get an orientation, kind of figure out what buildings are open. Um, the park itself, once spring gets here, once we have some seasonal staff, we will start offering, um, especially on the weekends, tours of the Jean-Baptiste valet House, the Amaro House, uh, giving talks, um, Either inside or outside, uh, also walks uh, along uh, the the town. So we sure. wouldn't take you two hours. We would talk about the town as we walk along the dist- the district. So, um, and we're constantly trying to acquire more and more different houses so that we can really uh, tell a much fuller story. The town offers lots of different vessels. I know we talked about the King's Ball a little bit. Um, sure. There's also a Jour de Fete that occurs in in August, and that is arts and crafts fair. Um, there's French and heritage festivals that occur in June. Lots of living history every Saturday throughout the summer. And uh, there's the School of the Soldier that occurs in late April. And that's a lot of artisans, craftspeople, um, history lectures, colonial period, and and talking about Illinois' country as well as the Mississippi Valley. So um, lots of events that the town has put on for, you know, hundred years now that still continues today.
0: I got to tell you, this was way fun for me because, um, when you think of, at least when I think of, you know, the French presence in North America, Missouri is not the first thing that comes to my mind honestly it was not on my radar at all until i discovered this and and i think i think a listener actually turned me on to this brand new national park that i should have looked that i should look into so this is very very awesome this has been way way fun a lot of stuff i have not (laughs) had not learned before looking into this place uh we've been talking to emily smith the lead interpretation ranger at st genevieve historic park st genevieve missouri now if somebody wants more information on this place or, or wants to know how to get to this place where can we send
1: yeah, um, so all national park sites have a website, so it'd be nps.gov um, slash stge, and that is our acronym for St. Genevieve. Um, you can also visit the St. Genevieve City website as well that will have a lot of the events listed. Um, and if I may, there is, there's one little point that I was sure. meant to talk about when we were talking about the Illinois country and, and uh, the NPS role of piecing the puzzle of America so when we, normally when we're viewing history, we do focus a lot on the New England area, uh, especially like Revolutionary War and we start we, we focus yeah. history on wars a lot. So Revolutionary War, Civil War, War War II, um, sure. and, and, and then there are major events like the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Um, so you have a lot of focus on the 13 colonies going on for the 1700s. Um, And then there's this expansion West and you have manifest destiny and gold rushes. And and we start talking about the Western expansion. And we often forget that middle section, that Mississippi river Valley on that Illinois country that we're talking about so much. And so in between that revolutionary war and that movement West, there is so much going on in this Illinois country. And a lot of that is that Franco-American experience. And so um, we're hoping to sort of, Piece all the puzzles of the American story together, and Saint Genevieve is just the most recent.
0: No, that's awesome. That's why I was—I was actually speaking uh, with a journalist from France uh, this week, and nice. he, he made the point that um, a lot of people in France, when they think of the French heritage in the what is today the United States, they think of New Orleans, of course, and they think of Maine, right. and they're yeah. very surprised to find out that there's anything else. <laughs> the, so.
1: It's Acadia and uh, and and yeah, so it's it's wonderful to see that movement and the infusion. A French culture um, that's often overlooked. Um, and another addition when we're, when we're talking about the, the makeup of the town, um, about the mid 1800s, you, you're starting to have sort of a revolutionary, uh, sorry, industrial revolution going on in, in Europe. And that sure. is causing a little heartache for, for the lower class people. And so you start seeing a lot of immigration from Europe here, and that includes German immigration. So by the eight, mid-1800s, we start to see an influx of German immigrants in this area. Um, and especially by 18 you know 70s, 1880s, um, the Germans really do have a footing in St. Genevieve as well. And they're bringing the Protestant Religion. They also have their own um, Newspapers So by mid-1800s You know You even have even more um, People and more makeup Of this town
0: What a unique place No, oh, that's yeah. very, very fun That's very cool Well, thank you Emily, I appreciate you joining us This is awesome
1: You're welcome Thank you Now our fathers look at us And sigh with despair To think that
0: everything They love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies so our culture will survive